Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. All right, yeah, it's, uh, COVID is messing everything up, uh, the, the shoeboxes and the pie auction and all those things. We're going to give it our best effort and hope to, uh, to make all that stuff work. So let's, uh, let's, let's uh, pray. Would you pray with me, please? God, thanks for your presence. Thank you, God, that we don't have to go looking for you. We don't have to try to bribe you. We don't have to work on being especially holy. Uh, you just delight in being with us. And thank you for that. God, I, I want to pray for all of the shoeboxes that are here and really all around the world this morning and over this weekend. Shoeboxes are being collected and will shortly be handed out to kids really scattered in, on every continent and um, all over this world. Actually, it's unbelievable, but true. And God, I, I want to pray for the kids who will shortly receive these. I know, God, that it's been a struggle this year for people to make shoe boxes and pack them and get them to churches. And I know, God, that um, Samaritan's Purse is probably looking at, um, in, in some ways, a shortage of, sh- of shoe boxes. But God, still, there are going to be millions of kids that get these gifts. And I pray, God, that when they receive them, that they be aware that there's a God who loves them very much. I pray for the kids who, when they get their little discipleship lessons and packets that come with these gifts, I pray, God, that they would be able to engage with you through these stories that they'll read. I pray, God, that there will be kids who will say that that's the God that I want to know and love. And then, God, I pray for churches and parents and teachers Sunday school teachers who will help those kids to learn more about you and who you are. Thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to participate. God, this morning, I also want to pray for Christians all around the world. Uh, In some cases, this is true of the kids who will receive gifts, but they live in places of the world where it's tough to be a Christian and hard. Um, There are places, God, where Christians are persecuted, sometimes in, in ways it's hard for us to imagine still to this day. You are a God who cares about the hurting and you have a heart for people who suffer because of their identification with you. So God, I pray that you'd be bringing comfort. I pray, God, that you'd be at work among systems of justice both in countries and systems of justice internationally so that we can work hard to bring such an evil to an end. God, thank you for the chance that we have today to, without much thought at all, decide that we want to be in church or watch on YouTube. And there is no one putting a stop to us. Thank you, God, for that. Pray, God, that now as we pay attention to your word, that you'd help us to be able to engage. And Father, I always want to pray 
that if in any way I say anything wrong or inaccurate or even stupid, God, I pray that you protect us from being influenced the wrong way. But I also thank you, God, that in my own life and in the lives of other people, I see how you take truth and you change us. And thank you. Pray that you'll do that one more time today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is, uh, there's, a, there's a really significant story that has made the round in churches for years. And you, some of you who have been around churches for years, you may actually know this story. And uh, this, this story is actually just so much better because it is actually a true story. And I know that because um, I checked Facebook and Facebook says so, so it's true. Um, anyway, the story is this, and this really is a true story. Um, there's, a, there's a Nantucket life-saving museum, and this is a picture of that museum as it exists right now today. Uh, I have never been there, but you can take a tour of this museum. You can visit. You can learn the history. Yeah, um, you can learn the history of um, the life-saving stations that were built all around the New England uh, Atlantic coastline. Um, this this museum is actually a completely rebuilt, or I should say remodeled, uh, um, actual life-saving station. This really was one a couple years ago, and this is a picture of the old one. Um, so you can see that they actually did a really good job when they did their remodel, when they remodeled that building. Um, but um, this, this picture is actually a picture of, and you can see it, hopefully you can read that, it's an actual United States life-saving station. Um, back in, the, the story of these is back in the second half of the 1700s, the, there were a lot of ships and a lot of lives that got lost, uh, particularly along the New England coastline, because the New England coast in winter, uh, especially, can be a really treacherous place. And many of these lives were lost within a mile of the shoreline. So there were a group of volunteers starting in Nantucket, but then spreading all along the coastline, a group of volunteers who got together, and these volunteers decided to go into the life-saving business. And they formed what they called at first the Humane Society of Nantucket. Ultimately, they changed the name to the Life-Saving Society. Um, and they built these little huts and they built them really all along uh, the shoreline, all along the New England coastline, ultimately. And they would have volunteers who would man these huts all the time. So that there was always somebody in one of these huts watching out for ships who are in trouble. And when they would see a ship that was in trouble, the word would go out and volunteers would arrive and they would risk their own lives to save every person that they could from that shipwreck. They got no money from doing this. They got no recognition. They got no awards. These were people who simply placed a, a supreme value on the life of every human being. They had a motto, and their motto was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back which doesn't strike me as a particularly effective recruiting slogan, does it? But that was their motto. Anyway, an interesting thing happened over the years to these life-saving stations. Over time, the United States Coast Guard was formed, 
And slowly the Coast Guard started taking over the rescue business. Now there was a period of time, actually a very, uh, uh, it was a significantly long period of time, when the life-saving station volunteers, the life-saving society volunteers, actually worked side by side with the Coast Guard. But eventually the life-saving society said, you know what, let's let the professionals do it. They're the ones who are trained, they get paid to risk their lives, so let them do it. And they did. So the volunteers stopped manning their stations and they stopped sending people out to rescue people. But then a really, really strange thing happened. The volunteers of the Life Saving Society decided, you know what, we like each other. We don't want to quit meeting. So they didn't. And the Life Saving Society actually exists to this day. They have not saved a single life for over a century. But they get together, they have dinners, they raise money, and they run a museum. They just don't save lives. Does this strike you as a particularly scary story for the church? It does me. We, all of us, the Church of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be in the life-saving business. Are we? We've been thinking about our place in the world, not individually, but our place as a church, the people of God, the mission of God, saving lives. And this is a potential problem, a really serious problem. Now, I thank God, and we can thank God, that God has always had a particular group of people whose job it was to confront problems like this. These people were called prophets. And the job of a prophet was to confront problems by speaking for God. One of the most famous prophets of all time was a prophet named Isaiah. So I want to read something that Isaiah wrote more than 600 years before Jesus. Now, interestingly, when I read this, you may recognize, some of you, that Jesus borrowed a phrase from Isaiah to deal with a problem in his day, and we will do the same. And just so you know that uh, after I read this, I'm going to have to actually take time to describe the problem, otherwise what I read is not going to make a whole lot of sense. But I'm going to start by reading it from Isaiah chapter 56, 1 to 8. And you may want to follow along in your Bibles, on your phones, or uh, we'll put it on the screen. But this is what Isaiah wrote, speaking for God, confronting problems 600 years before Jesus. This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, 
why the Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let eunuchs say, I'm just a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. And I will also bless foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and who do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people of Israel. Now, I want to explain the particular problem that Isaiah was confronting as a spokesman for God. And before I do, just kind of one little quick side note. I told you that Jesus borrowed a phrase from what Isaiah wrote, and I know that some of you probably recognize the phrase. In fact, I said it slowly, so you would recognize the phrase. And the phrase was, when Jesus says, my temple shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. And I know that some of you recognize that. If you didn't recognize it, that's all right. We don't give out the merits for not recognizing stuff like that. Anyway, Jesus used that line from Isaiah in an episode that we often in the church, in fact, it's in Mark 11, one place you can find it. Don't go there. But if you go there, often you'll see subtitles because we've named that episode of Jesus. We've aimed it um, the cleansing of the temple. And Jesus used that phrase in the cleansing of the temple. Now, I got to tell you that probably if you're going to give it a title more accurately, we should title it the closing of the temple because that's really what Jesus was doing when, he, when he, he used this phrase. He was announcing that the days of the temple are coming to an end. And the problem that Jesus was dealing with when he announced that the days of the temple are coming to the end, the problem that Jesus was dealing with is exactly the same problem that Isaiah was dealing with 600 years plus earlier than Jesus. And that problem is probably um, still existing, and that's the obvious reason why I am choosing to talk about a problem that we have today that still lingers today. So to get at the problem, we need to take a quick look at that statement that Jesus used that he quoted when he said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And that has always been God's goal. Ever since God told Abraham way, 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 way back in the earliest pages of biblical history when God said, Abraham, your descendants, your family will be a blessing to all nations. God has always had all nations, all people in his sights. For God so loved the world. 
And that means that God's people, us, we are meant to have an outward focus. Our default mode, the way we should automatically be looking at our world is to be looking at people who are not included in the family of God and asking, what can I do to include him or her? Unfortunately, because we're human beings, we're often like the life-saving society of Nantucket. Our default has been become and to uh, run a museum for ourselves, and we're no longer saving lives. So what's gone wrong? And how was Isaiah addressing that problem? Well, the people of God, and it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about the Jewish people of God Isaiah was talking to, or the Jewish people of God that Jesus was talking to, or the Christian people of God that I'm talking to, the people of God have always bounced back and forth between two very different approaches to how we deal with the world that we live in. On the one hand, one of the approaches that we often choose is that we are sometimes way too exclusive. And that means that we end up separating ourselves from the world around us. We create our own little tribe. We build very well-defined boundaries for ourselves, and we make it hard for people to get in. In fact, we actually make it unappealing for people to even want to get in. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. On the other hand, sometimes we're too exclusive. On the other hand, sometimes we're too inclusive. And that is, we become so accommodating with the world that there are no distinctives anymore. There's no difference between a follower of Jesus and a follower of the flying spaghetti monster, which is actually a recognized religion, if you think I just made that up. It's true. Now, here's the thing. These two extremes, being too exclusive and too inclusive, they exist at the same time. Now, it may be that there are times in history when one is more dominant than the other, but the truth is they exist at the same time, always have, because they're reactions to each other. Let me give you a perfect example of this. You've all heard of the Pharisees, right? Anybody not heard of the Pharisees? Again, no demerits if you don't know. The Pharisees have earned a very well-deserved reputation, a rotten reputation in our day, and their reputation is so rotten that to be called a Pharisee is to be called a hypocrite, right? It's the same thing today. To be called a Pharisee is to be called a hypocrite. So to be called a Pharisee or to be called a hypocrite is not a nice thing to be called, right? Okay, one person said, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it is not a nice thing to be called, kind of like being called a Dallas Cowboy fan or um, <laughs> a New York Yankee fan, which just gives me the shivers. But anyway, 
I'm sorry, Becky. <laughs> you know, I'm just joking. I love you. Yeah, thank you. I'm not really joking, but uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> that's not who the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. Pharisees in Jesus' day were men who decided to take their faith seriously. As a reaction to Jews who did not take their faith seriously, the Pharisees said, if we're going to be Jewish, we need to be all in. See, in Jesus' day, there were groups of Jews. There was a population of Jews called the Hellenized Jews. And these were Jews who probably grew up somewhere other than Israel. Very few of them actually spoke the Jewish language, couldn't read Jewish scripture. They had absorbed and they had been so absorbed by the Greek and the Roman world that you wouldn't even know they were Jewish anymore. And the Pharisees looked at these Hellenized Jews and they said, you guys are no different than the pagans. You might as well be a pagan. There's no difference between you and them. You can't even read our scripture. So the Pharisees said, let's get together. They became a volunteer movement of men who said, we are going to be serious about our Jewish faith. We're actually going to live it out. Which was a really noble sounding thing to say. They called themselves Pharisees, which is a word that means not much to us, but it's a word that literally means separatists or the separated ones because they said we are going to separate ourselves from the world we are going to be devoted to god now here's the thing about separatists people who are focused on being exclusive to be exclusive, what hap usually happens is you have to decide to be really, really firm about the boundaries because you want to know, well, who is in and who is out. And when it comes to religion, when you start getting really, really firm about the boundaries, those boundaries are all of those do's and don'ts of our faith. And we know that the Pharisees were zealous about keeping the do's and the don'ts. But here's what happens almost always to the separatists, to the, those who emphasize the exclusiveness. Almost always when you get really, really firm about who is in and who is out, separatists usually become rock throwers. Remember the story in John chapter 8? The Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery, all of them were bouncing rocks in their hands. Jesus, they said, she was caught in the very act. Our law says stone her. What do you say? Almost always, separatists become rock throwers. They become very judgmental. It happened in Isaiah's day. It happened in Jesus' day. It happens in our day. So here's the problem that Isaiah was dealing with. Isaiah's dealing with these two extremes. Those who were too inclusive, those were the Hellenized people in Jesus' day. Those who were too inclusive, 
so that their specialness has all but disappeared. There was really nothing to join. The boundaries were entirely gone. No difference between the people of God and anybody else. And if that's the case, what's the appeal to our faith? Why would anyone want in if there's no difference between us and them? There's nothing to be in anymore. On the other hand, there were those in Isaiah's day and in Jesus' day who were too exclusive. They had the boundaries, but they became so proud of their boundaries that they became rock throwers, separatists, judgmental. And again, what's the appeal? Why would anyone even want in? So here's what Isaiah does. First, Isaiah reminds the people of God that they are the people of God. Be just, Isaiah says, his first words. Be just, he says, speaking for God. Be fair. Do what is right. Display the character of God. Honor what belongs to God is the message. And he is saying to his people, to be the people of God means something. There is something unique about you that the world does not have. And you are the world's hope. You know, it's a great story, an interesting story, sad story about Steve Jobs. Uh, comes out of Steve Jobs' bi biography by a guy named Walter Isaacson. When Steve Jobs was 13 years old, a, a young churchgoer, he happened to see the cover of Life magazine from July 12th, 1968, this cover, this actual cover. It showed a picture of two starving orphans from a civil war that was taking place in Nigeria. There was a breakaway state in Nigeria called Biafra. It existed for two years. So there was a civil war, and then Biafra was brought back into Nigeria. More than a million Nigerians died in two and a half years of civil war. Steve could not make this picture fit with what he was hearing about God at his church. So he took the picture to his pastor, and before showing it to his pastor, he asked his pastor, he said, Pastor, if I raise my finger, does God know about it before I even do it? And the pastor said, yes, God knows everything. Then Steve showed this picture to his pastor and asked, well, does God know about them? Does he know what's going to happen to them? And according to Steve, the pastor gave a very unsatisfying answer about how their suffering was the will of God and the consequence for their sin. And according to Isaacson, Steve never went back to church. Look, you and I know we can't fix the world. And yet there is a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Father, may your kingdom come. 
may your will be done on earth just as it is being done in heaven. And if that's going to be our prayer, then it must also be our passion. Making the will of God a reality here. So if we cannot face our world and say that we are actually engaged in the work of the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God here, then who are we? Just another club. Why pray that prayer if it's just nice words? Why pray it all? We are the people of God, obedient to the will of God here in this world. And if not, why be anything at all? That's what Idea does first, be the people of God in this world. The second thing Isaiah does is to tackle the other extreme, the exclusive extreme, and he uses two examples. He talks about foreigners and eunuchs. Now, I don't have the time to talk about why Isaiah chose those two examples, but both of those examples were examples of people who were excluded in Isaiah's day. The people of Isaiah's day looked at foreigners and they looked at eunuchs and they said, sorry, you can't come in. And to both of those excluded groups, God says, I will bring them into my house. And that is a great image. It's in verse 5. To those two groups of people, God said, come on in. Come on in. You are welcome in my home. I just was reading a true story about two men who met each other after years of not seeing each other, haven't seen each other since high school. And as so often happens when you meet somebody that you haven't seen in years from high school, you get to reminiscing, telling stories to each other about what it was like back in the day. Now, very often, those stories turn into stories about some of the stupid things we did back in the day, right? Some of the regret we had, how foolish we were. One friend said to the other, you know, there was a dance. It was the annual turnaround dance. Now, I probably need to pause for just a couple seconds to remind us of all of what that was. There was a time back in the day when we actually touched each other. Hard to believe, but it's true. Even people we didn't know very well. And back when we touched each other, there were these things called dances. And dances were things where high school boys went and stood along the wall, and high school girls went and they danced with each other. But a turnaround dance is a dance where the girl asks the guy to dance, and he can't say no. That's the way it was back in the day. 
Anyway, in this particular story, a girl had asked him to dance. She was a bright, gifted, artistic girl who was also a little bit odd. She was on the outside of most of the groups in that school. And so this boy said no. And standing there, reminiscing years later, he admitted, I just didn't want my friends to think that I was with her, that I was on the outside too. I was afraid if I said yes, I would find myself on the outside with her. And so I said no. Typical pause for a painful moment. And he went on. You know, I could have made it a great night. I should have ignored the whole stupid system of who is in and who is out instead of letting that have power over my life. If I could do high school over again, I would go to the dance. Isn't that what Jesus is famous for? Going to the dance. All of the outsiders who were drawn to Jesus because he went to the dance. It's the insiders who had problems with Jesus. Which is why Jesus had a quote from a prophet who was already 600 years old when Isaiah, when Jesus was quoting him 2,000 years ago. And he said, my house, my house, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Let the outsiders in. Bring them in. We, the people of God, must have an outward focus. Our default must absolutely be who is on the outside and what can I do to bring them in. So how do we do this, you and I? Well, we can start right here. Right here, by practicing an outward focus. One thing we can do is, number one, expect guests. Now, because of what I see week after week after week, where a guest will be here and stand up and leave and no one will say a thing, I think we need some remedial help with this. So assuming that our problem is that we just don't know how, we're going to do some training. I'm going to actually ask Andrew if he would come up here. I think you got to come up here so we can be seen. I'm going to wear my mask because we're all wearing masks right now. Actually, I can't with this. So it's just going to hang down, right? <laughs> you need to pretend I have my mask on. We're going to pretend, I'm actually going to ask you to pretend that Andy and I are friends. We haven't seen each other in a week. We miss each other. Couldn't wait to see each other again. It's wonderful to see each other. And we're talking together after church because we enjoy talking to each other. We like each other. I want you to assume that we then see a person that we don't know. 
assume that you want this person to be welcome at Horizon. Let's assume that that's the case. You want this person to be welcome at Horizon. If you don't want this person to be welcome at Horizon, then there's a problem with your soul. And you and God need to have a conversation. But assume that you want this person to be welcome. And you're talking to your good friend. And you think, there's a person that I don't know. Now, for most of us, myself included, our problem is, I don't know what to say. Or our problem is, well, if I walk up to that person and say, well, welcome, are you new? That person is going to say, well, I've been coming here six months. And I will feel like a jerk. So here's some things that we can all do, really practical. Andy and I are talking. I see someone I don't know. I can say, Andy, hold on a minute. I just want to go meet that person. Or, hey, Andy, let's go meet that person. You can walk up to that person, reach out to shake hands, and he will... That's fine. And you say, hey, my name is Bud. I don't think we've met. Now, that's the point where I usually run out of things to say. I would suggest that things not to say at that point are, what do you think of Donald Trump? (laughs) Or, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Some simple things you can say. Are you from Allentown? You enjoying fall? Can you believe it's almost Thanksgiving? I see you have a Dallas Cowboy shirt on. All that stuff that the pastor says about Dallas, he's just joking, I promise. Does it seem to you like our pastor is putting on weight? All kinds of things you can say. All kinds of things. Some of you will say, but I'm terrible with names. So here's a trick. When you meet a person and find out that person's name, one thing you can do is to take a friend with you like Andy, and when you hear that person's name, introduce that person to Andy, which probably means it'll go like this. Hey, Andy, I'm sorry, I already forgot your name. And that person will say it, and you will say, hey, Andy, this is Tony. And by saying that person's name, you'll remember it. Thank you, Andy. Lesson number one about having an outward focus. Expect guests. Start here. Expect guests. Lesson number two, you can help our church get into our neighborhoods. We need a leader for what we call our outreach events team. We need a team to be an outreach events team. That needs to be someone who believes that we should be engaged in our neighborhoods. We do fun events whose sole purpose is to get to meet our neighbors movie nights, trick-or-treat nights, 
Easter egg drops. We need somebody who wants to say, look, I, I believe in that. We also need a person, same person, who believes that not only should we be doing fun nights, but that we should be doing some serious things to get our church into our neighborhoods. Maybe something like a pub night where we go into pubs and we meet with people just for discussions about life and church. Maybe a person who says, you know, I really believe that our church needs to be bringing hope and healing to our neighborhoods through things like divorce recovery groups, whatever. We need a leader who will help lead a team, lead a team and we need team members. So if that's you, someone who says, I believe that we need to get our church into our neighborhood, contact me. Third thing you can do is help us re-engage with our world. There's a survey, our missions team under Mary Sielkowski is trying to re-engage some of what got lost through this whole COVID mess, et cetera, and re-engage with our worldwide focus. And one of the first things Mary is doing is a simple survey. Yeah, uh, you can pick up this survey when you leave. It's on a table in the cafe. Pick it up, complete it, get it back to the church, um, you can also have this, those of you who are watching, we will send this to you. Just send me an email at, at pastor at horizonconnect.org and we'll mail this to you so you can fill it out if you're watching. There's also a link on our webpage. There's a way that uh, Hope McCorkle has made this interactive and you can actually fill it out online and it will get to us. And if you want that link, I forgot to make a slide, but if you want that link again, just contact me and I'll send it to you, pastor at horizonconnect.org. You want to have an outwork focus, expect guests, help us engage in our neighborhood, help us engage in our world. Now, why would anyone do that? Last night, Don and I went for a walk pretty late. We were talking with each other about what keeps us awake at night. Why it is that we both sometimes wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and can't get back to sleep. And we both know why that is. Do you want to know why? There are people that we both know and love who are far from God. They're lost. They need to be saved. They need a group of people who know that Jesus means for his people to be a life-saving station and not running a museum. And sometimes at 3 a.m., it brings me to tears when I wonder, is there a church anywhere who is willing to love the same lost people I love? Let's pray. God, my confession is that as a human being, I 
so often bounce between these two extremes, sometimes so inclusive that I lose all distinctiveness and you would not know me from the rest of the world. Having grown up in the church, God, sometimes I'm way too exclusive and I become judgmental, a rock thrower. God, I pray that you be at work changing my heart and my soul and the heart and the soul of the people at Horizon Church and the church up and down the streets of our country, that you make us to be people who have the same passion you do. To invite people on the outside into your home. Let them come in. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.